Nigel, activate the sonic transducer microphones and hoist our antenna up into the air. Thanks. It's time to talk about genre animation. <laughs> Jinkies. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. Thank you for tuning in. On today's episode, we're talking about genre animation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, most animation has a genre, but we mean animation, animated shows that go towards specific genres. Yeah, like genre fiction. And I know what you're thinking. You haven't listened to this podcast before. You think animation is a genre. It's not. That's correct. <laughs> animation itself does not constitute a genre. It is a medium. It is a medium. Which is a word for a person who talks to ghosts, which is part of the horror genre. Yes. <laughs> That's correct. But also no. <laughs> but also no. Um, so animation itself is not a genre of things. It is a medium by which different genres can be expressed. Mm -hmm. So, horror, mystery, sci-fi, western, fantasy, adventure, legal, <laughs> legal, <laughs> medical. Okay, legal is a genre. Okay, yes, legal is a genre of <laughs> Harvey Birdman, attorney of law, law and order, AVU. Animated Victims Unit. I would watch I think that. That's a Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <gasps> Roger Rabbit, AVU. But it actually says doink doink on screen. <laughs> or it's like a doink doink. Manor, manor. <laughs> boing boing. Hit <laughs> boing boing. Oh no. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> medical sports crime. These are all genres. Um, and they're very specific genres, each with their own very specific qualities and rules and stories and tropes and things things that go yeah. in them. Like if I say science fiction, you think of garbledy gook words that they think of at the last minute to like, of course, we'll rewrite power from the engines to the shields. Like, why didn't I think of that? Because starships don't work that way. Right. Um, but sci-fi does when i say fantasy then you know there's some great forbidden object that we have to either destroy or find it's one of the two right in order to take down some mythical beast which that... represents evil as a whole yes that's true if i say legal then the main character is always on the good side because of course there are good lawyers and bad lawyers yeah i i feel like we should have the law and order where it's like the really bad guys the bad lawyers not necessarily the people that are bad at their jobs I, like, I would watch the people who are bad at their jobs law and order <laughs> but but the people who are really defending the people who are really guilty so the other side of things where you mm -hmm. don't root for anybody in the show and none of it is ever law and order state appointed prosecutors <laughs> oh my gosh yes <laughs> um, and make it animated and we're there um, because Harvey this is Birdman Attorney of Law. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Writers get animated. Um, presents. Presents. 
Um, so what is genre? Where does it come from? We're gonna go all literary, and by we, I mean me. Hit it. Okay. Genre. You think the novel. There's this great thing called a book with words in it. That wasn't always around, though. Um, novels are a specific, at one point they were a genre, now it's the name for what it is. But they came out of romances, which is not like the romance that you might be thinking of in novels now. Different thing entirely. We're talking like sweeping, Epic. early, pre-Victorian stuff like just being enamored with nature and wonderfulness and not really having as much of a plot. Just like, look at how wonderful these things are. Those fairies and princesses and... Maybe not princesses. Now we're getting more fantasy. I'm doing a lot of hand-waving today. <laughs> um, I, I think it's necessary. Robert McKee, who wrote story, colon, substance, structure, style, and the principles of screenwriting, um, does give us a name for like defining what genre conventions are. There's specific settings, roles, events, and values that define individual genres and their subgenres. So those are the conventions of genre. So in sci-fi, there's space. There's not like set physics of space as we saw in Captain Bucky O'Hare. Like it isn't always like you need oxygen to breathe or you have to fill the holes in the spaceship, but there's space. You just That's are in the space. Yeah. These aren't rules of the world. These are rules of the genre. And you don't always have to have all of them. Like if I'm doing a sci-fi story, I can have cowboys in the future on another world, and it's dusty, even though they don't go into space that episode. Oh, <laughs> Firefly. Um, it's like a it's like a buffet of rules. So you get to pick five of the ten, and then you qualify for that genre. Okay. You don't have to get the steak, but there's also chicken, pork, and beans. <laughs> I'm off track. Um... <laughs> Pull it back. Pulling it back. Um, but I did, in researching this, I found this wonderful conversation between the novelist Neil Gaiman and Kazuo Ishiguro recently about uh, Mr. Ishiguro's latest novel. Um, and they're talking about what genre is and the reaction to his novel, which included giants and ogres. And people were mad that he wasn't selling it as a fantasy novel. And people were mad that it was a literary fiction with ogres and sword fighting. No one wanted his book in terms of being in the genre, but people loved it. People ate it up. And Neil Gaiman has this wonderful Neil Gaiman-esque quote that I loved. Uh, I think if you were a novelist writing in 1920 or 1930, you would simply be perceived as having written another novel. When Dickens published A Christmas Carol, nobody went, ah, this respectable social novelist has suddenly become a fantasy novelist. Look, there are ghosts and magic, which is true. <laughs> we don't consider A Christmas Carol to be a fantasy novel, but it is. Which is true. By modern standards. Yes, it is by modern standards. Mm -hmm. So in animation, what does that mean? We have all sorts of genre cartoons. If I say, um, ooh, let's play a game. Chris, I'll say, you give me a genre, I'll name cartoons. Okay, okay. Um, medical. Uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Doing great. Uh, <laughs> mystery. Scooby-Doo. Horror. Uh, also Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Sci-fi. Sci-fi, Star Trek, Steven Universe-ish. Um, fantasy. Fantasy, any cartoon show ever. Lord of the Rings. Gummy Bears. Gummy Bears, sure. That's a good fantasy one. 
I'm trying to think of a medical cartoon show. I'm sure there is one. Osmosis Jones! It's here in the notes, I'm looking right at it. Osmosis Jones. That's not really medical. That's more okay. like crime procedural, but in the body. So it's not really like... Isn't every crime of the body? Maybe, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes, it is. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, lots of... So, horror. We also have things like Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. um, would you put gargoyles in horror or under fantasy? Uh, I'd put gargoyles... It's like horror and fantasy and romance all combined. And Wild Thornberry's Adventure. 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 My favorite. He-Man would be fantasy slash adventure. What? Right? Is it? I'm sorry, crime? Is that legal? <laughs> Is He-Man legal? <laughs> He-Man legal. And the mess. <laughs> Glasses. That's all, that's all you need. Glasses in a briefcase. Which I think that is a shtick from Harvey Birdman. <laughs> Probably. I think that's on something. <laughs> Toxic Crusaders. Mm-hmm. Horror. Horror. The horror. The horror. Um, of watching that. <laughs> hey, don't mock my Toxic Crusaders. The uh, family-friendly um, version of an inappropriate <laughs> fantasy B-movie. From Troma Studios. <laughs> Love you, Troma. I'm, I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying no one should ever watch it. I'm kind of lovingly mocking it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what, what does genre do? When you know you are in a genre, what does that allow for? It lets you, it gives you rules, but then you can surprise people with breaking those rules. Which you can do with everything, but genre gives an established set of things you can play with. You can go into the first episode of Steven Universe and not have to ask the entire time, Harold, what's happening? Like, you know, what to expect certain things based on the genre of show that it is. <laughs> okay. So you, you come to, a, you have certain expectations going in mm -hmm. and it's whether those expectations pay off or are subverted I think if they're pleasantly yeah, yeah. subverted or unpleasantly subverted, that's what makes it a good show or not. Okay. Okay. And really, all genre stems out of other genres. Like, we have now, um, looking at the the fading, thankfully, teen vampire subgenre of, of things. horror. Yes, of horror. Um many things spinning out of that. And novel was originally a genre, and now we have fantasy novel, sci-fi novel, mystery novel, crime novel. And I think all good genre becomes kind of a medium of its own eventually, spinning off subgenres of things that look good. Once enough things start to um, define themselves mm -hmm. and take it a new way. And once those become popular, other people try and mimic it thus beginning the conversation of developing what that subgenre is as you try and replicate the rules. What are the rules that made the first thing succeed but still allow you to do everything differently for legal and copyright reasons? Got it. Mm -hmm. So today we have two examples. Two. From two separate genres. Mm. From... Kind of three. Well, I mean, they each... <laughs> They are from different examples. They're from different genres 
themselves yeah. um, from two different time periods. Mm -hmm. um, our first example is the very famous Johnny Quest. <laughs> um, specifically, episode eight of season one, The Robot Spy. Which is iconic. If you've never seen this, you probably know what I'm talking about once you do see it. It is iconic. So Johnny Quest first aired September of 1964 on ABC in prime time, mm -hmm. which is a big thing for a cartoon to be in prime time. I mean, most of them were at the time. I know, but... As we covered. I know. I'm just saying <laughs> it was almost an instant success, both in ratings and um, with the critics. Um, which is why it was canceled very quickly <laughs> after 26 episodes. In classic Fox style. This, this is too good. <laughs> we must kill it. No one should have this power. <laughs> we better stop it before it gets too good. Or it starts going bad. The 27th episode, it probably would have started going downhill. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad they stopped it when they did. I, I did grow up on Johnny Quest. My dad had all the tapes of Johnny Quest in a drawer, and we watched a lot of these. Um, I've watched a few episodes of Johnny Quest. I was always of the mind of, um, I watched more of the people making fun of Johnny Quest than actually watching Johnny Quest. I do remember seeing several episodes and being confused by <clears throat> Bandit. <laughs> so Yeah. Mostly, why yeah. didn't he talk? Because he kind of, he I, talks with his paws. He's I know. He's a paw talker. I know, but Hanna-Barbera <laughs> Hanna had taught me that dogs talk. And so I was just completely thrown by this non-talking dog. I think that's part of what makes it genre also, because at the time, like, this is a very realistically animated cartoon show. Yes. It kind of throws off, like, all the previous, like, oh, well. The Flintstones were a good idea. Let's do the exact opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And that's what this is. It's very darkly animated. I think you wrote down it's a very comic book style. Yeah, it does feel like a very, um, it feels like an animated comic book, like a Prince Valiant kind of style with really thick lines on the character. Um, and part of that is coming from what Hanna-Barbera was doing with limited animation, where you only animate the parts of the character that move and everything else is a static picture. And then the arms just, I'm doing a funny little thing, but the arms are the thing that move and that's the only thing that you're drawing. So it feels very much like you're stuck in this comic book panel and, and somebody's moving inside that frame. So part of it comes from budget, which defines style, which then defines this interesting look that they have of maybe meant to make it look like this, mm -hmm. <laughs> which it, for the most part they kind of did, but also yeah. limited am animation does that. It's also, it's, I think it's marrying the look and the style with the content and what it is. And Johnny quest is an adventure show yes. with hints of sci-fi and horror in there also. But mostly adventure. Yeah. Maybe fantasy also, but mostly adventure. Mm -hmm. It's basically just one boy who's for some reason dedicated to his schoolwork, going on adventures with his dad and his dad's bodyguard, 
and for some reason this adopted Indian boy who's not really his brother is maybe his dad's servant, but they never talk about it. I don't think it's a servant. I don't know. If he is, he doesn't they do anything. They always call him Mr. Quest. Haji says Mr. Quest. Well, that's just nice. <laughs> I don't know why he doesn't say Dr. Quest. Or maybe it's just Dr. Quest. He might say Dr. Quest, because otherwise that'd just be rude. Dr. Quest has spent all this time earning his degree, and the least he could be is called Dr. Quest. You're not my real doctor. You stole me. <laughs> he, he could just be a patient who is, just has Dr. Quest on retainer or something. He's not a doctor of that. I don't know. What I like about Dr. Quest is it's very... I feel like this whole show is inspired by the mystery surrounding the Manhattan Project from a while before this of like these super scientists get together in the secret government compound to put together crazy technology and Dr. Quest is in some kind of government compound working on experimental technologies and his son Johnny is there. Like you do because you would bring your son with you to the secret government what would they call uh, compound uh, compound thank you yes yes you would have your son there with you mm -hmm. to save on babysitting yeah but not your wife does, does he otherwise does he have a wife i don't know i feel like the wife would be mentioned i feel like she died a horrific death he might have stolen johnny also because johnny does not look like dr quest no he does not i would almost say that this is in the prequel this is my prequel <laughs> and my fanon because there is a fanon sequel <laughs> Uh, I would I would say that um, in the prequel, um, we get to see the death and the father's responsible for her death. Or he's like actually both father and mother, and she somehow is like zapped into his body. So he's both father and mother at the same time. And he still has her imprinted in his brain somehow because of an experiment gone wrong. I just thought you were going to say like clone or something. Yeah, he could be her clone. That too. Or just Johnny's Dr. Quest clone. Let's go with the simplest explanation possible. Cloning. Okay, so Johnny Quest is the clone of his quote-unquote father, mm -hmm. Dr. Quest. <laughs> this is all fanon. This yeah. is not canon. Yeah, lots of fanon here. So, uh, What do you think of this episode? Um, it had been a long time since I've seen Johnny Quest. Um, but I, I appreciated the pacing. Mm -hmm. I think you made a note of this too, but I appreciated that it's a slower pace than what we're used to nowadays, because nowadays things are very, very frenetic, mm -hmm. um, but it didn't feel slow. Yeah. I think they, they capture character moments, like, let's spend 30 seconds backing the giant death ray into the storage compartment now. Yeah. <laughs> let's see that happen and talk about, and oh, look, there's this guard here. Let's talk to him. And if this show were produced today instead they would have gotten back to the compound had a shot of them staring at the death ray look at it it's in storage now right like they would be moving the death ray they would just cut to the death ray already being moved right but this they were very interested in the process and a lot of that is the build-up mm -hmm. so all of this episode is build-up we get this idea that there's this ufo it takes about five minutes before we actually see Johnny or Dr. Quest or anyone in the Quest family. Probably. We just get to see, um, hey, there's this UFO out there and some random guy on a radar is like, hey, there's 
a UFO that keeps showing up and disappearing. Go investigate. Yeah. And they get their jets and they go, and this this UFO is cunning because as the jets come close, it it pulls um, a Starship Enterprise from you know Star Trek into darkness and dips itself into the water and yes. hides underwater. Yes, it stole that from the movie 50 years after this episode. I'm not saying it stole it. I'm saying that it it performed the same feat. <laughs> I'm giving people who have probably seen Star Trek and not seen this particular episode of Johnny Quest a bit of reference. <laughs> that's all I'm that's all I'm doing is reference. So it it hides underwater the the planes fly over it and go, hey, there's nothing here. It said it was here, but there's nothing here. Mm -hmm. And then it comes out of the water and descends on the city and then just starts glowing. Yes. And that's and that is what put now we meet Dr. Quest and them trying to figure out, oh, there's a glowing thing over mm -hmm. there. We should go investigate. And they have this whole bit about going to get the sandwich, and I'm not sure that children would know what a sandwich is. <laughs> probably not this is whole like you said they're they're into the process yeah um and eventually we get this very this super genre like adventure slash sci-fi robot thing that's the iconic like spider eye that yeah, comes a, out of it a big ball with spider legs and his eye the main thing is the eye yeah and he's blinking and then people the moment that people turn to look at it, it, it closes, so it just looks like a big black metal ball, and they look away, and it opens its eye up and looks at them again, and then closes again. It's like it's flirting with them. Yeah, it's, oh, oh. Oh, are you? Oh. Are you no. No. You're looking at... No, you're not looking. This giant robot? Okay. Okay. Oh, don't look. I'd oh. blush if I could. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to use my suction cup antenna to put you into shock somehow. Or something. <laughs> Just Which is an them. actual power of the robot in this episode. Right. It has a suction cup antenna that not only can read data from <laughs> from different machinery, but can also knock people unconscious and make mm -hmm. them go into shock. And it can put this up against concrete walls and hear what's happening multiple rooms deep into a compound. Which is pretty amazing. But with the plot point of trying to steal the photosmic ray gun. Yeah. Has to figure it out. Mm -hmm. the, what we find out is that this is, we think it's just an alien thing, which is cool because Dr. Quest is like, hey, let's get it back to the compound and puts one guard on it just in case <laughs> something were to happen. I don't hey, have a bad feeling about this. Let's take it back. <laughs> everybody, you don't do anything. Don't go in there. Don't look at it. Okay. I think it might be dangerous. Let's, let's be careful, people. Hey, something made a sound. I'm the guard. I should go in there and check it out. Bad idea. Bad idea. Conked out with a suction cup. Which is very horrifying. Yeah. It, it was a very creepy moment. I thought it killed it. Yeah, I did too, but he's not dead. He's not dead. He's not it's dead. As if, in being an adventure show, sci-fi show, it also is a kid's show, so or a family show. Yeah. So, no deaths, no blood. But we did get Ra's al Ghul as our villain. You mean Dr. Zin? Is that who it was? I thought it was Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> AKA Dr. Z. Dr. Z. As they call him in Venture Brothers. Yeah, Dr. Zin, who... Is another 
racial stereotype on the show. Yeah, it's a it's a problematic. If if it wasn't problematic for Haji to do a, a levitation, yeah, spell, yeah, on on Bandit the dog, <laughs> Zim Zamadim, and then put him back down, and and it's it was I was I was horrified. I was horrified. We're talking about the merits of the genre part of the show, not in terms of our previous diversity podcast. Right. That was that was something. Um, it wasn't nearly as bad as the end credits with the African natives chasing the quests <laughs> and throwing spears at their plane. Uh, but it was it was up there. Don't but that's that. To the credit of the genre, which is where it gets tricky, is that that is a a trope of the adventure genre, which is why we don't have as much adventure now. It's the coming up against the Natives. uncontacted peoples. Sure. Yes. Natives, I, I use quotes <clears throat> for quotes. that. This is a heavily air-quoted segment of our podcast right now. And so, I use air quotes on podcast. <laughs> <laughs> which it is a podcast. I don't know why you would air quote the podcast. Um, anyway, this... The whole plot, which it's kind of interesting, it's it continues. I, I don't know if it started the trend. It didn't quite start it, but it's the Trojan horse trick of I meant to get captured. Mm -hmm. So that way it was part of the plan to get captured so I could then be inside and then the plan shall unfold from there. Well, it's like the, the inexplicable villain ideas that are, they treat them as honestly sinister in this very rooted in genre story. Like if you look at this plan too closely, it doesn't make sense at all. I'm gonna have a, I'm sending in this spy robot, but I'm gonna have it create this large blinking light so people come find it. Yeah. And it's gonna be super stealthy and it has giant spider legs and could easily walk over a fence, but I want them to come capture it and put it in a locked room. Yeah. And I can talk remotely into this giant megaphone um, and transmit voice commands to this robot, but I, it can't transmit raw data back to me. <laughs> Just binary. I, I do enjoy, though, that he kept saying um, that Dr. Zinn, as he controlled it, kept saying, Okay, robot friend, go to this place now. Just a little further, my robot friend. I'm like... Is that like calling it Siri? Yeah. <laughs> hey, okay, robot friend. Like, I wonder if I can make Siri change her name. To robot friend? Yeah. Robot <laughs> friend, what movies are playing today? <laughs> that's probably what he's doing. <laughs> that's after he figures out what the quests are up to. Robot friend, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? <laughs> In Sacramento. This, this plot doesn't work now because it's like it could be a handheld like hover drone with a tiny camera on it that you're controlling with HomeKit integration <laughs> and Bluetooth. It said this giant walking spider eye. This genre is difficult to have now as this half if you did it now, you adventure. Would, if you did it now, you would have to set it in the past to have the genre exist because that adventure genre does not necessarily, all the tropes don't necessarily work right now. So you'd have, you couldn't necessarily do Indiana Jones in the 50s because the tropes of 
Indiana Jones are all from the 40s and that adventure, and the moment you bring it into the 50s, you're butting up against a different genre. You might almost even have to make it a, a sci-fi thing instead of an adventure movie. Are you referencing? I'm referencing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the good I'm, timeline. This movie, I'm, this hypothetical fourth Indiana I'm Jones movie. I'm just saying, if you were to make an Indiana Jones movie that took place in the 50s, you might have to bring sci-fi into it because... That's the tropes of that time period instead of the 40s, which are the adventure show. You might have to bring sci-fi aliens or something in there. What if we also had um, a fridge that shielded you from nuclear blast? No, that's just the best idea I've heard tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So It writes itself. It writes itself. It shouldn't. We should probably hire multiple people to look at the script before we produce it, but it does write itself. Let's move on to our second <laughs> example of what we can. Yes, Duck Dodgers, which is, we're doing season one, episode 12, The Queen is Wild, flashback to the Academy, two shorts in one episode. So 12A and 12B. And there's, there's a lot of genre in here. This whole show is just... Genre. Not a genre, just genre. (laughs) So it doesn't know what the heck it is, I feel. (laughs) I think it knows what it is. Does it? It's Looney Tunes. (laughs) And that's about as far as it gets. So Duck Dodgers is um, descended from the 1953 original cartoon, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century. century, um, Directed by Chuck Jones. Mm -hmm. Starring Daffy Duck as Duck Dodgers, Mm -hmm. the heroic space hero and porky pig as his faithful cadet cadet. yeah now the tom jones theme song that begins (laughs) duck dodgers the show which is amazing would seem to want us to believe that this is some sort of spy show from the 60s it's such a wonderful theme song the song is wonderful and it has some convoluted backstory trying to explain that this is actually daffy duck frozen in a space-time oddity until the 24th and a half century it i do i do like the credits but it feels like a james bond movie so you say that like it's a bad thing i i didn't say that as if it were a bad thing i'm just saying that's what it is um now it and then, but it's also taking the tropes of sci-fi. So it's doing things with, um, we have our robots, mm-hmm. which we meet very early on. Um, the spaceship. The spaceship. Um, this, this episode Different did not technology. have the, um, the doctor from the original short as well. With the light bulb on his head and the rubber gloves. He's also in this as a character. Right. But not this episode. Not this episode. But we do have Marvin the Martian. Mm. And Queen Tyranny, the leader of Mars. Right. Who wasn't in the original Chuck Jones shorts. And should have been. Should have been. She's pretty amazing. Yeah. I love Queen Tyranny. So, in a sense, this particular episode, I think we'll concentrate on the Queen is Wild, if that's all right. That's fine. Um, (laughs) There's not much salvageable in the other one. Yeah, I don't want to talk about (laughs) that other one. Watch it. But I don't think I want to discuss it very much. All we have to say is the other short is kind of military genre. That's all I have to know. Done. End of discussion. Yeah. It's It's not as enjoyable as The Queen is Wild. But we have um, the queen who's been um, rejected by Duck Dodgers at the altar. Mm -hmm. And we begin in a chase scene 
uh, where she's chasing after him with a lightsaber-esque weapon and chops off his head, and we realize it's a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, Duck Dodgers that she's practicing, taking out all this anger that she has on these robots, and there's a huge pile of them that she's dispatched and still doesn't feel any better. So I don't know if this line of therapy is actually helpful for her. I think somebody should help the queen a little bit, but I don't know if anyone's willing to have that serious conversation about her and her health, her emotional health. She's enough. I don't, and I don't know if she knows that she's enough. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm just. I don't know what's happening. I'm just saying. I don't Are we think, like an empowerment podcast now? I don't think anyone. What's told, what's our genre of podcast? I don't really know if the Queen of Mars knows that she's the Queen of Mars. She doesn't need a duck. She's the queen of where men are from. That's right. I see what you did there. It took me a second because I wasn't with you, but now I am there. So anyway, um, we don't know. From the theme song, we don't know if it's a spy show, but we're given the idea that this is a space show, a sci-fi show. It plays a little bit with Star Trek. And Star Wars. And Star Wars. There's the Tauntaun chicken thing. There's the Tauntaun chicken thing. There's this, the lightsaber-esque weapons. And this is in my um, favorite lightsaber battles category, non-Star Wars. Yeah. Um, we do get um, a Star Trek II. Um, Slash Hunt for Red October reference. <laughs> Yeah, where they fly into the nebula, but it's directly. like It is. It's almost shot, shot for shot. shot. <laughs> Star Trek Two. One, they're in a nebula and they can't see each other. The radars, they're blind to each other. So they, they're trying to go over each other and under each other and try to figure out where the other person is. It's a revenge plot and everything. <laughs> it's really tense. It's the best part of the episode. Yeah. For, for me, it's the best part of the episode. A lot happens in this. It's, again, a, a convoluted villain plot where the queen sneaks on Duck Dodger's ship to steal the eager cadet to lure him to his death. But then why not just kill Duck Dodgers in his sleep when you sneak aboard a ship? Right, that'd be a little too easy. <laughs> How did she get him in the first place? And then she puts him in under glass in this... She traps him. <laughs> well, the whole, like, giant glass thing, that's like a Duck Dodgers trope from the 50s short. Like, the giant glass things. Right. That's a sci-fi thing. You keep people in glass. Yeah. Because that, it's the future. Not force fields. Just glass. It's, it's like a force field. <laughs> but it's glass. I'm trapped in a force field of emotions. <laughs> trapped in this glass box. Okay. <laughs> the one thing I will say about Back to the Academy, the second part, I know we were going to talk about it, but the one thing I will say is, thing. it's not my favorite thing. The one thing I will say is that it had Ed McMahon <laughs> for some unforsaken reason. There's Ed McMahon. And as a whole, fighter pilot. As a fighter pilot. Um, or as like a program of Ed McMahon, who's been programmed with all these things and doesn't remember what the Ed McMahon catchphrases are. You know who else doesn't know Ed McMahon catchphrases? <laughs> the children watching your show. Who are you writing this for? The Ed McMahon is the fighter pilot. That's not funny for the adults. 
because the adults watching are not fans of Ed McMahon. <laughs> and two, it's not funny for the children watching because they're too young. <laughs> it's a great bit, though. Angry. I like that bit. Why do you like that bit? That's like the worst. It's so ridiculous. It's, the, it's so Looney Tunes. It's so Looney Tunes. No, it's not, because Looney Tunes is funny. That was not funny. That was just infuriating and confusing. Okay. What was very Looney Tunes was the, um, in the first bit, the Queen is Wild, the math joke. When Duck Dodger is trying to calculate where he's going to be zapped back to and when. Yes, that was amazing. And then he gets transported into the middle of a rock ledge. <laughs> Stupid math! <laughs> no, that, was, that was really funny. Well done. That's a well-constructed joke. That, that, that was, because he can't be successful. And if he's successful, he's not really Daffy Duck. But they do take a, I think it's a classic Daffy moment. Because doesn't Daffy have, he has nunchucks at one point in some classic thing. He's doing something and he like slaps his beak and knocks it around. Yeah, in the Robin Hood. Yes. Um, Daffy Duck is Robin Hood. And they reference that here because he whips out his lightsaber nunchucks. Question mark. He holds the light part. I don't know how this works. Um, and the queen says, do you even know how to use those? He goes, yes. And then like does the same thing he does in the Robin Hood one, but he's hitting the, the snow bank behind him and carves a giant statue of himself out of it. Which is good quality joke. Yeah. Good and it proves joke. that he is competent, at least in hand to hand combat. Lightsaber, light weapon, light weapon combat. Yeah. S slash sculpture. He's really good at sculpture and... <laughs> Being self-centered. Yeah. I think. It was a good genre. I mean, it's very... This is... If Zap Brannigan were part of Looney Tunes, that's what this is. What? Well, with Daffy Duck. Yeah. If, if you take the character of Daffy Duck and put him into sci-fi, you get Zap Brannigan. And if you take the character of Porky Pig as the eager cadet and put him in sci-fi, you get the opposite of Kiff. So, there you go. Genre! Genre. It genred. So, what was your favorite thing out of either of the two shows that we talked about today? I think there are a couple moments. I think there's a lot of merit to at least the first half of the Duck Dodgers episode. I really do love this cartoon show. There's a lot of bad in this show, but I like a lot. But I think my overall favorite moment is in Johnny Quest when the robot's spying. <laughs> It's peeking in the window of Johnny and Haji as they're studying for their test. And then Bandit starts barking and the robot like hides in the bushes outside the window. Like, why is this robot looking in the window of two adolescent boys? Like, is this part of the mission? What's, why is this in the episode? Well, part, this isn't my favorite thing, but the part that, that I find interesting is that they spent such a long time about them studying. <laughs> they <laughs> spent a, a long time of the episode about them like, well, maybe five more minutes of study. And what are they studying? Press one if you want to see Johnny and Haji finish their study. <laughs> we don't know what or they're press studying. Press two if you want Johnny and Haji. It's a big science test tomorrow. At San Francisco school. At San Francisco school. Oh, man. What was your favorite thing? Um, my favorite thing was a reference to an old Bugs Bunny cartoon at the very end. Um, the Queen is going, uh, the Queen of Mars and Duck Dodgers is going back and killing another 
um, robot of Duck Dodgers. And she, she just says to the camera, so he's mechanical, which is the end line of this, the um, short hair raising hair from 1946, where Bugs is enticed to this castle by this um, mechanical girl rabbit. <laughs> Um, and we get the huge orange furry monster. Yes. And, you know, where Bugs has the great moment of doing the nails and acting in the salon. Like, my star. <laughs> that, that scene, which is brilliant. And at the end, you know, the mechanical rabbit comes back and kisses him and walks away. And he's like, so she's mechanical. <laughs> and then he walks after her, like, acting as a robot. I like that it was a throwaway joke to that. Um, so long way of saying that one moment. Mm -hmm. That was my favorite thing. So. Homework time? Homework time. What the listeners don't see is that I'm, um, every time we do homework time, I do air drums. Because um, we know that the drums will go there. So next time in this spirit, we're going to talk about how to fix a bad episode of something. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about good, good shows overall. Good quality shows where they end up with a bad episode. Mm -hmm. what we're going to try to do is fix those episodes. Mm -hmm. and we're going to use a tool. I, I don't know if some of our listeners have heard of this tool, but it's a tool developed by John August, screenwriter of Big Fish and other great things. Um, but the writer emergency deck, which we can get on Amazon. So we're going we're gonna to put this to the test and try to fix... Um, a couple of bad episodes of otherwise wonderful shows. Our first example is uh, Superman the Animated Series, Season 3, Episode 8, Superman's Pal. Well documented to be. Yeah. Um, I love the DCAU. We've talked about this. I love Superman the Animated Series. In the commentary of this episode, even Bruce Timm says, this is a terrible episode and one of the worst of the entire DC Animated Universe. So we're going to see... If it can be fixed. We're going to do Bruce Tim a favor. Fix it. By the power of August. John I, August. I, yeah, I... No? I, I don't know if he's going to listen to the episode now. No, he's probably not. I wouldn't. Sorry, John. Hi, Craig. Mr. August. <laughs> we can't call him John. <laughs> move, move. Uh, so... As always, thank you to Nigel Catino for our engineering, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme drums and our homework time drums and all the drums. And Mackenzie Worrell for our air drumming. And Mackenzie, no. <laughs> no thank you, Mackenzie. No thank you, Mackenzie. Um, also, catch us on uh, Twitter, at WG Animated. Tell us what your favorite genre animated TV show or cartoon show or cartoon movie or animated movie or a thing along the lines of Jungle Book that might be an animated movie, but we're not sure that genre is. Um, also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WGAnimated. And at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com, we'll have um, all of our wonderful links and show notes. Yeah, links and show notes. and So all the stuff magic. that you want to read that we've been referencing, the Tumblr place is the place to grab it. Writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Yes. Show notes. I'll get you yet, Dr. Laver. I don't believe you will. 
Good. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I, do, I never know what to do when you do a weird thing like that. It throws me off. I do a weird thing every episode. I know, and I still don't know how to react. I'm not very good at improv. I, I didn't go to Second City. <laughs> <laughs>